Welcome to the Life Well-Lived podcast. I'm Kayla Brandon, a holistic health coach and wellness enthusiast. I am absolutely obsessed with learning about people who live their most authentic lives. In this podcast, you'll hear stories about those who truly live a life well-lived and what they do mentally, spiritually, and physically to get there. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump into your daily dose of practical advice on pursuing a life with purpose and passion. This week, I interviewed Morgan Adams, a holistic sleep coach for women who struggle with getting a good night's sleep consistently. Ironically enough, Morgan is also a former insomniac. In this episode, she shares how she spent almost a decade using prescription sleeping pills despite knowing that her overall sleep quality suffered and what she did to overhaul her sleep for good. We also discuss how morning and evening routines help foster a solid sleep schedule, the best sleep environment for your health, how much sleep you should get every night, and so much more. Without further ado, let's get into it. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kayla. It's great to be here. Yay. I'm excited to talk about sleep because so many of us don't get enough. I currently have two kids under two. I know for a fact I'm not getting enough sleep, but I know that it's short-lived. But there's a lot of things that I'm sure even I can be doing to get even better sleep, even if it's not a lot. So I have so many questions, but first I want you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, kind of you know what you're doing in this wellness space and, and how you got here. Sure. Well, so excited to talk sleep with you and answer all the questions. My sleep story began, I would say, many years ago. I won't date myself. I might, well, when I was in my (laughs) mid-30s, my sleep struggles started. And I developed insomnia because of a personal crisis in my life, which we will not go into. But needless to say, I was uh, one of those people who, like, you know, probably some people listening to your podcast, would get into bed at night, would take two to three hours to fall asleep. It was ridiculous. And I got so stressed out by this inability to fall asleep that I went to my doctor and I was given a prescription sleeping pill called Ambien. I'm sure everyone by now has heard of it. And I took the Ambien for eight years, eight years solid. And, you know, it did actually help me get to sleep. The problem is the next day I had so many side effects, especially in the morning. I had a lot of brain fog, um, just I was really fuzzy. It actually started to affect my work life because my job at the time relied on me being very quick to write like press releases and things like that on a crisis basis. And I couldn't produce the content fast enough. I just couldn't type or write or think fast enough. And that was a problem. Um, I would also have like eating episodes late at night after I'd taken the Ambien. I wasn't happy taking it, but honestly, I did not know of any other way to deal with my insomnia. Then about eight years into taking the pills, I met a wonderful man who is now my husband. (laughs) And during the early stages of our dating, he kind of had a come to Jesus talk with me. And he said, listen, when you take those pills at night, you become like a zombie and it's kind of freaking me out. And I mean, I couldn't deny it. I couldn't talk my way out of it. I was just like, yeah, you're right. You know, this needs to stop. So what I did is something I don't recommend your listeners to do. I went ahead and tried to get myself off of the pills by just cutting them down, like cutting them in a pill cutter until I was no longer on them. Knowing what I know now, you really do need the help of your prescribing provider. 
Additionally, a support, support from a professional, maybe a sleep coach or someone similar is also very helpful because it's not an easy thing to do to get off sleeping pills. And it's something you shouldn't do by yourself. But I did get off the pills. So that was good. I, I got lucky. And I slept pretty decently for many years after that. Then there was a plot twist. <laughs> the plot twist was March of 2020. I'm sure everyone is familiar with what happened then. Yeah, I'm sitting here like, when? what's the plot twist? <laughs> yep, that's pretty evident. Yeah, We all experienced this just, you know, jarring, you know, f- feelings and thoughts in the early stages of the pandemic. My sleep issues started to come back. And I was very worried that I might be going into insomnia again, and I did not want to go there. So I started to look online for sleep tips and, you know, ways to make my sleep better. And I was able to get my sleep back on track because of the things that I was doing for my own sleep kind of jazzed me up. I decided to just randomly, you know, post about it on Instagram and Facebook just because I thought it was cool that these things are working. Come to find out a lot of people in my circle were struggling with the same sleep issues. And late in 2020, I had a massive personal revelation. It was like a bolt of thunder hit me. And I said to myself, you are going to become a sleep coach for women. It was just like pure as, pure as day. I was going to do that. I did not know how, but I knew that was my path. So I spent that following year going through several different health coaching and sleep coaching programs to just immerse myself myself in this vast knowledge of sleep. And in 2021, I launched my holistic sleep coaching practice. So it was a long and bumpy road to get where I am today, but that is that is my story. Wow. I mean, so many people I feel like took the pandemic and I always say this, there's like two routes you could have taken. One is more destructive and the other is more aligned with like overall health. And I think we've seen that now people who are kind of coming, we're, you know, I think we've come out of it in, in terms of like shutdowns and, and lockdowns and things like that. Um, and there really are two different people, people that launched their own businesses or, you know, st- went back to school or started a new hobby. Um, and then people who went down, like I said, it just like a darker path. Um, which is not their own fault. Like they, you could have easily slept, you know, slipped back into your insomnia ways and it's not even your fault. It's just, you, yeah. you saw a, the light, you saw a different path and you knew that there was a better way for you to live. So I think that's so courageous that you decided to take this on full time. I mean, I'm, I know you mentioned yeah. you worked in like PR, it sounds like before. Um, yeah. it, I'm sure that affected your sleep because I work in mm-hmm. communications now and I can tell you when things are you know, stuff's hitting the fan. You don't sleep well, like any job, right? right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you mentioned you specifically work with women. Um, yes. And I'm, I'm curious to know, um, especially, I think you mentioned women in like midlife, which I'm almost 31 at the time of this recording. So I'm pretty close to mid, like I'll get to midlife sooner yeah. rather than later. Like I'm yeah. closer to that than I am to 21. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm just wondering why do so many women in that age bracket usually suffer from poor sleep? Is it, yeah. is it stress related? Is it life related? Is it lifestyle? Like what, what yeah. is that? A great question. So most of the women that I do work with are in midlife, I would say at least 50%. And okay. there are a few reasons why uh, women in midlife really uh, have some struggles with sleep. Number one, 
kind of obvious hormones are fluctuating wildly at times, um, that up and down. So those fluctuating hormones can really impact our ability to sleep. Second thing is, is that women, as women, and even in midlife, we are more prone to getting mood disorders, specifically anxiety and depression. And anxiety and depression have sort of a bi-directional relationship with insomnia and sleep problems. So that is, that is the second reason. The third reason is really more soci socio, um, sociological circumstances. So in midlife, a lot of women are in the situation where they may have children at home still that they're taking care of. They may have parents who are aging and they need to take care of their aging parents. And then they might also be at the height of their career and have a lot of job responsibilities. So what I kind of call these women, they're, they're kind of part of the sandwich generation and they're just they're juggling multiple roles and it can get extremely stressful. So if you think about all of those different factors, you can see why a lot of midlife women would be really, really struggling with their sleep. Yeah. Sure. Oh my goodness. That's, I mean, now that you mentioned that, I'm like, we need to be supporting these women more, just not yeah. even with sleep, but just in general. I mean, that's yeah. a lot, to, that's a lot of burdens um, to carry and not that, that your family or your parents are burdens and not that work is a burden, but collectively, I think that's just yeah. a lot of responsibility is probably a better word to put yes. on, a, on a, a woman's shoulders. It's like, uh -huh. I wonder why we're not expecting the same from men, um, right. which I'm sure is a whole nother topic. Um, right. And, and just as, <laughs> just to, to bring us back to home um, to talk about women and their sleep problems, do you, do you talk to these women about lifestyle changes? Do you kind of do like an assessment? So like talk me through your coaching practices and kind of what you would do with an ideal client, like someone listening to this podcast who's having sleep problems and maybe they're not a midlife woman specifically, but like, let's say they're even like a, a millennial man, like how would you assess their sleep? Sure. So my coaching is very customized. It's not like a cookie cutter approach, but I'll kind of give you a general kind of feel for how I work. When we start working together, I'm, I just ask tons of questions. I'm like a sleep sleuth or a sleep detective because <laughs> I need to find out a lot of information about my client, how they're sleeping, how they're eating, how they're moving, um, their daily patterns. So once I get a good feel for their, their lifestyle and how they're sleeping and eating and moving, I'm able to come up with somewhat of a plan for them. And the plan varies according to each person's uh, different circumstances. But things that I'm looking at, generally speaking, are the bedroom environment. That's like the low-hanging fruit. Sometimes people have a bedroom environment that is not conducive to sleep, and we need to correct for that. I'm looking also at uh, their chronotype. I, I do a chronotype quiz. Chronotype, basically, it's a, it's a fancy way of saying, are you an early bird or a night owl? Um, because it's really important that people live their life according to their chronotype and not try to force a different chronotype upon themselves, which a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to match bedtime and wake time according to their chronotype. We're trying to sort of facilitate their work environment or their work you know, flow to match their chronotype so that they're working at their most productive times. Um, we're looking at sleep behavior, excuse me, sleep attitudes and beliefs. So I assess for those. Because quite often people who come to me with insomnia have some maladaptive beliefs about sleep and attitudes. So we try to correct for those and make them not necessarily more like, quote, positive, because it's hard to 
go from having a really negative sleep belief when you're really struggling to like super positive because it seems a little bit inauthentic. So what I like to say, it's more of a sleep neutral sort of uh, mindset. And then I use some techniques uh, from something called cognitive behavioral for insomnia, um, which is dealing with basically training your brain uh, to sleep better through changing some behaviors, for example, sleep and wake times, um, how much time you're spending in bed, and then um, cognitive things like not catastrophizing when you have a bad night of sleep. So there, there are a variety of different tools and techniques that I use um, to help people with their sleep. You know, generally speaking, um, what I'm seeing is that people who've been struggling for insomnia for like 10 years it might take a little bit longer for them to see some success, um, which is understandable. And folks who, you know, have only been struggling for maybe a year or less, they tend to kind of get with things, get things on track a little bit more quickly. I can totally understand why it would take a lot longer to kind of unravel the reasons why someone's not sleeping well if they've been dealing with it for like a decade or more. Yeah, um, or even like yeah. a few years or longer. So yeah. I'd love to dig into some of the lifestyle things that you mentioned that you assess. So things like like let's talk about the the sleep environment in someone's in someone's bedroom. I've been told by many people don't have like a TV in your room, don't have screen time. Does screen do screens like affect us? Does light affect us before bed? Talk to me more about like how a bedroom should be kind of set up in an ideal way um, for us to get optimal sleep. Yeah. So think of your bedroom as sort of like a cave. You want to sleep in that sort of cave-like environment. So there's three aspects, being cool, dark, and quiet. So the cool piece of it, there's generally some talk about having your bedroom temperature at like 65 to 70 degrees. That's sort of helpful, but it also depends on where you live, like what kind of climate you live in to begin with. So instead of saying, your bedroom must, or your house must be this temperature. I think it's more helpful to think about your bedroom being a little bit cooler than the rest of your house. Okay. Um, so bedroom being cooler, sleeping in cooling clothes. For example, a lot of my midlife women are dealing with hot, hot, you know, hot flashes and night sweats. Um, we're finding that bamboo materials seem to be more moisture wicking. So bamboo, pajamas and nightgowns, bamboo uh, fabric sheets. Sometimes if people are really struggling, there are cooling mattress pads that are extremely helpful for hot sleepers, men and women. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the cool piece of it. The dark um, part of the bedroom should be, you know, you should be considering blackout curtains or shades would be a great uh, use of your money. Um, also, an eye mask. If you're traveling, I think it's really essential. I keep an eye mask in my suitcase at all times because when you're traveling, you just never know how the hotel or Airbnb is going to be situated. You really don't want to have a lot of light coming into your bedroom. They've recently done studies, so interesting. They found that when people are sleeping, even with dim light, it affects their sleep stages and also their metabolism. Um, hmm. Yeah, so... We are just, as humans, we are just not designed to have light um, on us, around us while we should be sleeping. It's just not part of our biology. And then the quiet piece of this whole cave situation would be to, you know, obviously try to keep your 
keep their environment as quiet as possible. But it's hard to kind of predict if you're going to have like a random crash from a pet outside of your, you know, bedroom, if, you know, your pet does something. So I like to talk to people about like a, a, a noise make a noise machine. Just there are several out there on the market. They're very inexpensive, but just have that on as white noise to kind of keep random, random noises from waking you up at night. Um, you mentioned TV in the bedroom. Uh, another interesting study that I just heard about was done on women. A long, it was like a long, long study. They were actually looking at women with breast cancer, but that was kind of irrelevant to this point. They found that women who were sleeping with a TV on were more prone to gaining several pounds over a long year stretch if they slept with a TV on because that light is emitting is light is coming out of the TV. And again, just like the other study I mentioned with the light just in the room, it is impacting our metabolism and it could, it's and our hormones that regulate weight control. So we really need to be careful about TVs in the bedroom. I generally don't recommend TVs in the bedroom at all for that, for that reason. Um, there, another reason is because the TV can just wake you up randomly. If the noise, if there's something that's noisy on TV, it could just randomly wake you up in the middle of the night, and that's just disruptive to your sleep. So I feel like you know it's best, if possible, to have your TV outside of your bedroom. And you know, a lot of people are very surprised to learn that one of my wind down routines in the evening is TV. They're like, "Wait, you're a sleep coach and you watch TV at night?" Yes, I do. I find it very relaxing. Here is how I manipulate my TV watching to make it sleep conducive. Um, number one, I watch on an actual real TV, not a, not a laptop. I'm not sitting there with my, with my laptop on my lap watching Netflix. I'm a fair distance away from my TV. I've got on blue blocking glasses because I want to uh, mitigate any effects of the bright light or the blue light. And then I think the most important thing is considering the content of what you're watching. I have done several different experiments on myself with this, and I've noticed that my sleep does become impacted when I'm watching content that is overly stimulating or disturbing. Mm -hmm. So when people want to watch TV at night for their relaxation, I generally have them look into programming that is neutral or just kind of like funny, just not disturbing. You know, um, that can be a real problem. So that is sort of my, my take on TV and, um, and screen, as far as screens are concerned, I think that not using your phone or a tablet the hour before bed is probably a good idea. Obviously, there's some blue light coming from those devices. That's not great, but what we're finding out in recent studies is that the blue light not, might not be as detrimental to um, our inability to sleep as we once thought. I mean, it does okay. play a part, but it really, it's, it's more about bright light in general. And that bright light could be overhead lights um, in your house. Um, and yeah, so also another thing is that when people get on their phone at night, they tend to look at social media and they tend to get wrapped up in conversations. And that is another source of stress for a lot of people. 
So if you can minimize that use of the screen and that capacity, it's probably a great idea. Now, if you need to use your phone, like if you're on your phone and you're just like shopping for a dress, like that's very neutral. It should be neutral, right? <laughs> yeah, um, people, you, can, you can be aggressive. Um, because, but, um, you know, if you were going to use your phone, I would say use it for something that is not going to be stimulating um, because the social media and just like the news in general can be very triggering. And we can also lose track of time if we're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So I really, I try to recommend that people just an hour before bed, you know, just put your own, put your phone to bed, you know, in another room and just kind of leave it alone. That makes a lot of sense. And I love that you talked about like the lights in your home too, because for me, I have two small kids and um, they're both under the age of two. So when we start our bedtime routine and I actually start it a half hour because there's no way we could start it an hour before them because before they go to bed, because they go to bed at seven and at six, we're still like cleaning up from dinner or maybe doing bath time. But 630, for what, what we do for them. And I find, I have found, I have slept better since doing this. At 6.30, we turn off all the lights in the home besides like some dimly lit things. Like right now I have my Christmas tree up. I'll turn that on for just some like nice little dim lights. Um, and we kind of start our wind down routine of like reading books and like we'll watch we'll watch a little bit of Coco Melon. I'm not going to lie. They're very far away from the TV. My toddler is. Um, and he'll have his milk. And then he gets naturally sleepy on his own because it, the lights are off. Yeah, he's watching something that um, I'm sure it's oh, way too overly stimulating. But he, I mean, he goes to bed just fine, and he falls yeah. asleep right at seven every single night. So I've I've seen it just in my kit with my kids, and he has a sound machine, and it's cool in his room, and he wears cool clothing, like light clothing, and we have blackout shades. So I'm like thinking of the way that we treat our children, and then I wonder why once they go to bed, some couples turn back on all the lights. And then they're like, okay, like let's, you know, have our adult time, even though that might last for, you know, two hours and then they go to bed. I just leave all our lights off. Like my husband yeah. knows, like those light, once those lights go off at 630, we have like little night lights around the house or like, you know, some, a light over the, the oven that we can put on. But like I do not want overhead lighting in my home past 630. And people think – people have made fun of me. They think I'm crazy. But I am so affected by it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're so smart to do that because – the bright light definitely impacts uh, our melatonin production, which we need to get to sleep. And I really love the fact that you pointed out this routine that you do with your children. And what I'm finding is that a lot of my clients don't really realize the value of a nighttime routine for themselves. It's like they, they know, they've had children, they know the importance of a bedtime routine for their children, yet for some reason, they don't prioritize that for themselves. And so that's one thing I really, really work on with my clients is establishing some kind of consistent bedtime routine because we like sleep is not an on and off switch. You need to kind of ease into it. You need to just kind of decelerate your body and brain to just prepare yourself. You can't just get home from work at like nine o'clock and just expect to go to bed. You need that kind of ramp, ramp down. And it could be you know, I mean, ideally, you know, an hour would be amazing for most people to be able to get that wind down. But if you don't have that amount of time, just do something, do something relaxing um, to get your body and brain prepared. So and and in terms of like setting yourself up for su- success in the morning and at night, because I feel like a lot of people 
talk about the importance of like your nighttime routine actually starts in the morning because it's like how you how you set it sets the tone for your whole day then you live your whole day and then you have your nighttime routine it should all be kind of like tied together so can you talk to me a little bit about like the those two different routines and like kind of what you do as a yes as a sleep coach? well I'm so glad you brought that up because morning routines are so essential and I actually believe that the morning routine is a little more important than the evening routine because what you do in the beginning of your day sets the tone for the rest of your day. There's a quote from Louise Hay that says something like, how you start your day is how you live your day. Mm-hmm. And I believe that really, if you are taking some intentional time in the morning to set yourself up so that if you get these stressful events happening throughout the day, stacked throughout your day, you are better equipped to handle the stress because that stress just keeps compounding throughout the day And it can spill over into the evening, which often prevents people from falling asleep quickly. So it's just, I think it's an excellent mitigation uh, source. Um, So there's a few elements there. Well, there's two critical elements of the morning routine that I've really stressed with my clients. And I, and I do this myself um, because it actually works. So the first thing is as soon as you're able to get outside, go outside and be exposed to natural light. Now, you, the sun does not have to be like, it does not have to be a sunny day, for example. It could be overcast. It still counts. You still are getting natural light, and that is what matters. And w- one of the key things I, I emphasize is don't wear sunglasses. Like, do not wear <laughs> your sunglasses because I see this happening like every day when I walk my dog. Their neighbors walking their dogs, and then my neighbors have sunglasses on, and I'm like, no. don't do that. The reason is because when your eyes hit the natural light, it sends a signal to your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is your circadian pacemaker. And when that happens, there's this beautiful cascade of hormones that happens. Your melatonin production shuts down, your cortisol increases to give you energy, your serotonin increases, which is a mood enhancer, and that serotonin converts later on to melatonin. Um, So you're just setting your body up and your mind up um, really, really well when you're, when you're light, when your eyes are exposed to that morning light, you only need to be out in the morning light for about 10 minutes, maybe 20 on an overcast day. So I think that's like a huge, huge um, tip for getting better sleep. And it starts in the morning. The other thing about mornings that I really stress with folks is having a consistent wake up time every morning because this entrains our circadian rhythm. It sets an anchor for the time that you would usually get tired at night. So if you are getting up every single morning at like 6 a.m., the chances that you're going to become sleepy 14 to 16 hours later are so much more increased because you've got that regularity with that anchored wake-up time. So a lot of people are like, well, what about the weekend? <laughs> Can't I sleep in? Well, the, the problem with sleeping in on the weekend is that you are setting yourself up for getting social jet lag, which is basically jet, like regular jet lag like we've all had traveling cross-country or whatever, but you're willingly giving yourself this jet lag, which doesn't make a lot of sense. So my general rule of thumb is to get up at the same time every morning. If on the weekend you've stayed up a little bit later, 
or you want to give your, or if you, maybe you haven't gotten enough sleep during the week. Maybe you're just a little bit short on your sleep. You could potentially sleep in an, an hour tops on the weekend without it really messing up your circadian rhythm and getting social jet lag. So you've got a little bit of leeway on the weekend, but in general, just keep things very, very consistent throughout, you know, throughout your whole week with your wake up time. That makes so much sense that you said um, like 14 to 16 hours later than when you wake up is when you naturally get sleepy because, yeah, I mean, it, it explains why so many I'm, – I'm only speaking in parents because I'm a parent of two young kids and like they wake up early. So I obviously am waking up earlier or even earlier than they do. So naturally, like I'm not staying up till midnight. I physically can't because I'm waking up at like 5 a.m. Um, every yeah. single day of the week. I have no choice. Um, and so when people like – have always made fun of me that I'm just I can't stay up late. Now I actually have an excuse. <laughs> like I yeah. you know I have kids, but I think some people like you said are naturally, you know, morning birds and some people are night owls and and you just kind of have to like you have to cater to whatever your I think you said chronotype is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um otherwise like you're going to force yourself into sleep sleeping when your body isn't actually ready to or wanting to, right? Yeah. Exactly. A lot of times you'll hear like in, uh, or see on sl- in sleep articles online that you need to go to bed at the same time every night. That's sort of not true. I mean, th- there's a nuance to that. Um, you basically want to go to sleep at night when you are sleepy, right? So you are looking for cues of sleepiness. Your eyes start to droop. Um, you are starting to yawn. You're starting to get those physical cues of sleepiness. If you, if you were to say to yourself, Kayla, I'm going to go to bed at nine o'clock every night. Well, that's, what if you're not sleepy at nine o'clock at night? What ends up happening is you get into bed and you become frustrated because you're not falling asleep. So what I suggest is just have sort of a general ballpark, like maybe an hour of sort of your preferred bedtime and give yourself a little bit of flexibility within that, within that time frame. Instead of being super strict, I think that's just works out a lot better for people. Yeah, because then your mind starts to race too. Yeah, um, and you're like, well, now I can't sleep, and then you like stay up way than mm-hmm. way later than you even wanted to, and it's just a mess. Um, I really wanted to ask you about your nighttime routine, though. I don't know if you touched on it, but it's um the like, what do you do at night in terms of like? I know a lot of people for whatever reason love to talk about like skincare and like having or like having a bath doing something relaxing like I know you mentioned you like you're totally fine with watching tv putting on blue light block blocking glasses and watching it like at a distance not on your laptop in bed Um, but I'm just curious like what does that look like for you because you probably have incredible sleep hygiene and I think a lot of people would benefit from hearing on how you actually implement some of the tips you have yeah well I I do my skincare generally and then I watch TV for maybe a half hour to an hour, chat with my husband, um, you know, before and before and after that. But one of the things that I like to talk about that gives people some general guidance um, for people who don't really have any routine at all, and this this routine thing is very new to them, what I call the power down hour. And I teach my clients this, and we again we customize everything. We don't just kind of cookie cutter this. But for people listening, if they're just like, I have no routine at all, this is sort of how I would consider structuring it. So if you think about the hour, dividing it into three 20-minute segments. 
So the first 20 minute segment would be things that you do to prepare for the next day. That could be making a to-do list, uh, packing your kids' lunches, laying out your clothes for the next day, that kind of thing. The second little 20 minute chunk would be your personal hygiene. You're brushing your teeth, washing your face, putting on skincare. Um, there's a little routine that I do called Gua Sha. It's a Gua Sha stone facial massage. I do that. I think it's extremely relaxing. Um, putting on your PJs or night clothes at that time. And then the final 20 minute segment would be like your relaxing activity. And when I talk about relaxing activities, this is where you really have to consider your own personal preference because what's relaxing to you may not be relaxing to me and vice versa. But just some examples of some typical relaxing activities for a lot of my clients would be reading, uh, meditating, doing breath work, uh, journaling, uh, TV, um, audiobooks, or podcasts. So if you kind of look at the, those as your relaxing activities, then um, you've kind of done your complete evening routine. And by the time that that hour is over, you should probably be feeling pretty relaxed and in a place where you're going to get sleepy. So that's I, just a general routine. I love that you broke it down into 20-minute increments because I think that a lot of people have certain beliefs that you have to have this really long complex, expensive morning or evening routine. And it eliminates the ability for a lot of people to even think that's possible for them because they just think it's it's not accessible. It's not like attainable yeah. for me as an average person, you know, working a nine to five or I have kids or I have dogs or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, everyone can wash their face. You know, you don't have to have a $40 or $60 cleanser. You can have something from the drugstore. You can have regular bar of soap. Like it's, it's just that I think it's the ritual that you mentioned that I love because that's what this podcast is all about is accessible, attainable wellness because, yes. because everyone should have access to these tools. And I think a lot of people do. It's just how do you find out about this information if you either don't work with a sleep coach, you can't, maybe they can't afford one, or you don't hear this interview because maybe you don't even have a smartphone. You can't afford a, a, your, no, your phone bill. So it's like the more we can get this information out to everyone, I feel like it's just so important. And it's really incumbent upon people like us, like in the wellness space, to share as openly within reason. Of course, you want to make a profit, but some tips that can help people. And I just – I so appreciate your openness because a lot of people can – can keep things to themselves <laughs> because they're, yeah. you know, trying to, trying to, um, get clients. But I feel like you've given us so, so much information that probably pay people paying you are, are also getting, I, mean, I would yeah, assume. For sure. For sure. And one thing I wanted to circle back on with the rituals, um, rituals are really great. Um, there is a caveat though, for a lot of my clients who are really struggling with insomnia, they truly have insomnia sometimes the rituals become stressful because they are super reliant on them. They're like, okay, if this doesn't happen in the particular order of events, or if like they've ran, they've run out of their supplement or their lavender spray, or they're traveling and they forget to pack their whatever, it can create a lot of pressure and anxiety. So there's a real delicate balance with like, creating a routine for people who have insomnia. So just for folks out there who are really struggling, um, keep it kind of simple. 
and, and I find that the people who are already kind of good sleepers thrive a little bit more on the routine because they just enjoy it. You want to really enjoy the routine. You want, you don't want to become like a slave to the routine or feel stressed out by the routine or the ritual. Right. Yeah. Then it just becomes another thing on your to-do list. And that's kind yes. of like trying to eliminate that stress and hurry at the end, especially at the end of your day. That should be something that you like. I look forward to taking off my makeup and and turning down all the lights and, you know, making my magnesium drink, which I want to also talk to you about um, is supplements. And, you know, I I think we have certain beliefs on just living a healthy lifestyle and that could probably help your sleep. But in terms of sleep specifically, not you know, ambient aside, because that's not um, a supplement, it's a prescription, what kind of like natural holistic um, supplements do you recommend to clients that are struggling with sleep? Yeah. Well, I'm not like a huge supplement pusher. Okay. Um, for one, but there's a, there's a time and a place and I'll kind of share my, my thoughts, but I really do think that everyone could benefit from magnesium because it is, most people are deficient in it anyway, because of our soil depletion and with magnesium, it is just a relaxing mineral. It works on the GABA receptors to just kind of chill you out and relax you. So that is always a good thing for folks before bed. Um, as far as like some of the other ones, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in experimenting with different things, but here's kind of, here's sort of my take on it. If you are going to try a supplement, be very intentional about what you're actually hoping that supplement will, will bring you. For example, um, if you are, let's just say tracking your sleep, what, but whether it's with a journal or an aura ring or a whoop strap or whatever, um, and you're wanting maybe uh, deeper sleep or whatever, and you're looking for that supplement to bring you deeper sleep, actually like test the supplement out. Give yourself a month to try the supplement and see if the supplement is bringing you some degree of results. If, if so, then excellent, you know, maybe continue ordering it. But if it's not bringing you any value, then what is the point in taking the supplement? I mean, it's just, so I think there's a lot of trial and error um, and it's so personalized. What works for you might not work for me and vice versa. Um, but some of the things that I, some of the, the ingredients of supplements that I think are pretty useful overall could be um, GABA, um, L-tryptophan, um, the more, these, these types of um, ingredients really kind of help the brain become in a more uh, alpha state versus a beta state. The beta state is when we're just a little bit more wound up and we want to get our brain more relaxed. So the GABA and the L-tryptophan can be helpful. Um, melatonin seems to be a real popular one. And my feelings on melatonin change week to week <laughs> because there's so much variance in the information that I'm seeing from different sleep people um, out there there's different camps, you know, there's a camp of melatonin is really dangerous. You know, it should not be used ever to like, there's a pr practitioner who I follow who wrote a whole book on melatonin and all its benefits. And I see, I really can kind of see all sides of it. Melatonin can have a lot of benefits for, um, antioxidant, uh, benefits. Uh, I, when I had breast cancer, I took high doses of melatonin for that particular issue. Um, but high doses of melatonin for just a sleep 
uh, issue is probably not really going to be that productive for you. It could lead to grogginess in the morning. So I feel like if people are going to try a melatonin supplement, there are a few little things I would suggest. Number one, really be careful about the source of your melatonin. They did a study a a few years ago showing that when they pulled melatonin from the shelves of just general grocery stores, they found found a wild variance in terms of the amount of melatonin that was actually on the bottle from like too little melatonin that was advertised on the bottle to way, way much more than was advertised on the bottle. That can be problematic for a lot of people because of that grogginess factor. So when you are shopping for a melatonin supplement, it's better to look for what what is called a USP label, USP. So you can just Google USP uh, melatonin and you'll get you know a, a small list of melatonin supplements. So just, just don't grab one off the shelf anywhere. Just do your research. Um, you want to probably start with the lowest possible dose, like a micro dose, like 0.5 milligrams to maybe up to a milligram. And you may have to shop a little bit for those small doses because most of the melatonin doses that are sold like in the drugstore, are like three or fives, which is kind of a lot. It's not huge, but it's, you know, it's, maybe more than we need. So just, you know, use some caution with melatonin, but it's, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad supplement to use. I just don't think that it is going to give people the results that they're looking for in terms of falling asleep faster. I think it only gives you on average like seven to eight more, seven to eight minutes of falling asleep faster. Um, So, you know, just don't have so many expectations because melatonin really for sleep, um, it's really mainly used for jet lag and circadian rhythm disorder. Interesting. Um, a lot of people talk about how they, you know, some one person might thrive on six hours of sleep and then their best friend needs nine hours or else they're totally exhausted. Like what, why is that? Because I, I, my husband and I are totally different. I need minimum I mean, seven hours, I'd be like, that's okay. But eight or more is what I need. And he can get, he can wake up within six hours of sleep and he's like ready to go. Doesn't even need coffee. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know he's crazy. He's also a night owl. I'm a morning person. So, yeah. you know, I guess those kind of people always end up together. That's what I've been told. Yeah, that does, tend, that does tend to happen. Well, you know, it's the whole topic of sleep quality, quantity is is very interesting because, there's this myth out there that is perpetuated in the media and I see it all the time and ads and so forth. Everyone needs to get eight hours of sleep. And that's, it's like, it's like me telling you everyone needs 1500 calories a day or 2000, yeah. whatever. We all have our own specific sleep need. Like we all have our own shoe, shoe size. So the general recommendation is to get between seven to nine hours so if you think about the fact that eight is between seven and nine, you can kind of see how that eight, everyone needs eight hours of sleep gets perpetuated. You know, some people like your husband, for example, he's probably in the minority. That's kind of bordering on what we call short sleep, six hours or less. Um, not many, it's a very, very small percentage of the population that can thrive on six hours. Um, but I mean, you know, it's if he's able to, 
get through his day without being tired, groggy, or needing a bunch of caffeine, then he probably is getting the amount of sleep that he needs. Oh, no, he's definitely not then. Nope, nope, then he needs more sleep. Okay, then yeah, (laughs) then he probably does need more sleep. Yeah, so, well, you know, you can chat with him about that. Yeah, he doesn't even, he doesn't listen to this podcast. We're safe. He's, you know, the topics are a little woo-woo for him, so he's, yeah, we're good. But I will have a conversation because I've been telling him for years, like, you need to get more sleep, and I I just think he – um. Yeah, I think it's hard for him to fall asleep. He needs, mm. um, he needs like the TV. He'll fall asleep to the TV on and stuff. Uh, I'm the opposite, so I need yeah. like a dark room, eye mask on, yes. black blackout curtains. No one uh-huh. talk to me, uh-huh. <laughs> like no uh-huh. noise. So I'm like the total opposite. Um, and then I find myself being the one that like falls asleep very quickly. But then I'm up, you know, at like 5 a.m. because my body woke me up because yeah. I'm, you know, getting those seven to eight hours. But right. Um. But yeah. I, Everyone's different. I'll have I'll definitely have a chat with him though because yeah. he needs to probably implement some of the tips that you yes. uh, that you recommended. Um, but quality is better than quantity. I'm assuming yeah. based yeah, on qu- like, we we were just talking about. Yeah, quality is actually more important than quantity um, because you want to look at a few things. Uh, you want to look at how fast it takes you to fall asleep. That's a that's an element of quality. The general rule of thumb as far as like falling asleep, it should probably take you somewhere between 10 to 20 minutes. Okay. I can't, I can't tell you how many people, when I say oh, I'm a sleep coach, they're like, oh, I'm the, the best sleeper ever. I fall asleep the second my head hits the pillow. And I'm like, well, uh, okay. So the reality is that if you're falling asleep that quickly, like within five minutes, you're probably sleep deprived. <laughs> yes. That's probably rea- the reality. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're lying in bed on the regular for more than 30 minutes waiting to go to sleep, that that's, that can become a problem. The waking up issue is an, is an interesting um, phenomenon because I, another little myth I see out there is, or, or kind of expectation that's set like by supplement companies, you know, this supplement will make you sleep throughout the night. You won't wake up once. Well, it's an unnatural expectation to have because we as humans, we are designed to have multiple micro wake-ups during the night. So after each sleep cycle is completed, we typically wake up very, very briefly, so briefly that we don't even realize we've woken up. And it's really a mechanism designed for safety. We scan our environment quickly for safety and then we go back to sleep. So most of the time we're not even aware, we're not even aware but a lot of my clients will wake up, uh, well, they'll come to me for coaching and they'll be like, oh gosh, I wake up like once a night or twice a night. It's really not a problem to wake, to have like times where you wake up and you're aware. As long as you're not like staying awake for a long period of time, it shouldn't be a problem. So that's, that's an area of sleep quality that's important. And then, you know, going back to the whole consistency, that's another aspect of quality that's important too, is just keeping that fairly consistent bedtimes and very consistent wake times. Wow. You've just given so much good advice. I feel like I could talk to you for four hours about sleep and then I'd probably <laughs> want to go to sleep because, <laughs> because uh, you know, just like the way in which you describe like the relaxing, like wind down routines and things like that just makes sleep so much more exciting, if that makes sense. Like, 
usually people think of sleep as boring, but I, especially the older I get, I get excited about the wind down routine because I know I'm going to be rested and the next day is going to be even better. It's going to be easier to wake up. It's going to be easier to get through my day if I actually got sleep. So I feel like sleep can heal a lot of problems. Absolutely. I think that sleep is the ultimate form of self-care. And when you invest in good sleep, the rest of the areas of your life tend to be a lot better. Relationships, health, mental health, the whole thing. Totally agree with you. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Morgan, I have so appreciated having you on. I ask everyone the same question to end the interview, um, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Um, What does living a life well-lived mean to you? Oh, I think it means living according to your own beliefs and being authentic to who you are and trying to tune out a lot of the outside influences around you that may not be serving your highest good. Very succinct, very, <laughs> like, very, I feel like you you had thought of that. You can, you can tell that you put some thought behind that. Like, it's not just do what makes you happy and live a good life. Like, I feel like living intentionally is really um, the, the best way to live and authentically, as you mentioned. Yes. Um, so I, I so appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you after the show? Sure. My website is morganadamswellness.com. And I'm very active mostly on Instagram, which is morganadams.wellness. I have um, a complimentary consultation for folks who want to talk about their sleep. Um, you can find that on my website. I just would love to you know, help anyone who might need you know, an extra set of eyes on their sleep. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Kayla underscore underscore Brandon. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.